this morning called, very simply, Jesus Stories. And we're going to look at how lives have been changed now and in this present moment and season. But also, we're going to look at some stories um, from the gospel and how Jesus just had a way with people, didn't he? Had a way of changing their life completely. If there's one thing I can share with you today, it's just know this. God's writing a good story. God is writing a good story. And don't get caught up. Maybe for you, you need to hear, don't get caught up on this chapter. Know that there's another chapter coming. And God is faithful, like I said a moment ago. He's faithful to complete the good work He's begun in you. Well, if you have your Bible app, I want to encourage you to get that out. Or if you have your Bible, get that out and turn to the Gospel of John. That's four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and chapter 4. And today's message is entitled, Jesus Goes to Samaria. Jesus Goes to Samaria. You know, uh, we're about to read 26 verses out of John 4. A cut to the chase with you and let you know that this story Samaria, if you will, from 2,000 years ago, speaks to us and reminds us of the length God will go to reveal his love towards us. As I think of James and Candace and their journey that they've been on and their story, yes, I'm aware one was seven months. Did y'all catch that? One was seven years. All right, that's a different lesson for another time. But the length God will go to reveal his love towards us. Sometimes it's unpredictable, and it's in the moment of life, or even sometimes the very region of life, we would least expect God's love to come to us. But he is so faithful and so true. And one of the things I do every week, part of the the reading plan and prayer plan I have is um, I, I, I read a gospel story every week. Almost every morning I'm reading some story And it's the same story for a whole week. Now, this story isn't it for this week. But what it does is it slows me down and gets me just to really focus and filter through one story of how Jesus comes to us even today and teaches and continually reveals the heart of our Heavenly Father towards us. The beginning of the Gospel of John would say something pretty radical. You may... (laughs) You may not even know you don't know what I'm about to say. That's how radical it is, right? We've read Gospel of John. We've been in church. But the Gospel of John says something quite radical. It says that no one truly knew God. No one truly knew God. Old Testament does a pretty amazing job. But John would say no one truly knew knew the nature of God until Jesus revealed God to us. And so for me, you need to know something about your pastor. For me, Jesus tops it all. Anything Paul wrote, it's awesome. I love it. Old Testament, it's awesome. I love it. But it's just a continuation of the story revealed in Jesus. He is the cherry on top of all theology for me. It's Jesus Christ. And so John radically declares, hey, this is the account of God right here. 
in Jesus. And so here we see John chapter 4, a crazy, radical, should never have happened story. Jesus goes to Samaria. So let's pick up at verse 1. It says, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining. We could input the word gaining momentum or gaining traction. And baptizing more disciples than John. They already had enough trouble with John the Baptist. And here's another guy who's there baptizing even more. And although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Well, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman replied, you have nothing to draw, uh, draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as Jesus, or excuse me, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I like her mind. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What have you just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> got a little British nuanced sense of humor. All right. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. That's called a conversation killer. That's called, all right, sounds good, I'm out of here. Until Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. 26 verses, it is loaded. Jesus goes to Samaria. It is a picture of the length 
God will go to reveal his love to someone. Jews saw Samaritans as unclean, heretical, and racially inferior. In verse 9, in, in my Bible, it even has it in little parentheses, and just very straightforward, it says, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And you and I may struggle to understand the significance of that statement, but I can bring up a map for you. Well, actually, I'll ask the gentleman in the back to bring up a map for you that explains a little bit of the predicament they found themselves in. Judea, you'll see, is on the bottom there. There's where Jerusalem is set, Judea. Galilee, if you've read the gospel, you know a whole lot of time Jesus spent in Galilee. Here is the lengths they would go to. They would avoid Samaria entirely. They would go along the border or they would not swim. <laughs> they would catch a, a, a boat across the Samaria region to move themselves into Galilee. At all costs, they avoided Samaria. You did not associate with the region of Samaria. This historically was at play all the way back to the 6th century. In Jewish history, then the 6th century, the Babylonians, right? You remember? Don't worry. You will. The Babylonians swept in, conquered Jerusalem. You've heard of Daniel. Daniel, among others, was uprooted and exiled out of the country. Well, here's how the history played out. All of those that were uprooted, swept off into Babylon... They were raised and trained under the Babylonian Empire, but they remained true to the covenant they had with God, to the cultural customs of the day, and they, if you will, would be seen as pure. Well, Babylon didn't take everybody. Babylon didn't just <laughs> slaughter the rest, no. Babylon would leave a little contingency to remain in that region. Well, these people in the Israelites' mind, did not remain pure. And truth be told, they didn't. They started marrying and intermarrying with other uh, neighboring nations, brought in the neighboring gods, and they were, if you will, as the exile ended and the Jews came back, there was a heated battle. You've heard of the book of Ezra, and you can read the book of Nehemiah. I mean, Ezra and Nehemiah just really end with an angry priest, mad and, and crying, because they, they are like, what's going on? You married who? And then you did what? And now we're stuck with, oh, how can we ever uphold the law? You guys have made this crazy. So Samaria's got a rich context. So as punishment, as uh, the way history plays out in tribalism, but not just petty tribalism, legitimate religious tribalism, the Jews would have nothing to do with the Samaritans. They would say, you've forsaken the covenant. You don't really love God. You're inferior. You don't even live religiously and in every law that we were given through Moses and through the covenant. You've abandoned it. The Samaritans would say, you're wrong. <laughs> we're going to do what we're going to do. And guess what? We're going to set up our own temple. 
forget Jerusalem. We're going to set up our own temple in Mount Gerizim. I know you all know this. Just, just hang with me. And so, on Mount Gerizim, that's where the Samaritans would worship. That's this strange dialogue where Jesus is like, look, women, here's the deal. Samaritans don't know what they're talking about. Us Jews, no. And Jesus, really in a lot of ways, as you would expect the pastor to say, he's right. And he's right. Jerusalem maintained the true temple worship to God and so forth. I won't bog you down with all the history. But there's this, there's this dichotomy. There's this divide. There's this split. And here's the Samaritan woman talking about the history, saying, hey, whoa, 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 do you want water for me? You know, hey, psst, you know you're not supposed to get water from me. Like, what are you, you're a rabbi. What are you even doing in Samaria. What Jesus is doing in Samaria is he's revealing the heart of God to a people felt forsaken, felt forgotten, who had been written out of the covenant by the religious zealousness of the law. And Jesus, as he often did, he just walked right up in the middle of it and dropped the bomb of God's love upon the people. We see, if I could share it this way, I know I said it a moment ago, but Samaritans, they're, they're viewed as unclean because they had intermarried with surrounding nations. Not only were they just unclean as a characteristic and a stain upon their race, but they were unclean because of the sins that they had committed, and, and not only unclean, hey, add insult to injury, heretical, because they would not make the journey or pilgrimage into Jerusalem to worship. They would take a shortcut. Hey, we got this great mountain. Let's go up to Mount Gerizim. So they had established their own way of worshiping, own way of celebrating the festivals, and they didn't even celebrate all of them. So they're unclean, heretical, and then the true rabbis, your true rabbis, your true Pharisees and Sadducees, they knew that 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 they knew. Samaritans were racially inferior because of their uncleanness and their heresy. And upon generation, upon generation, upon generation, and so this was at play. Now it's reaching a boiling point. It's been at play for almost 600 years. And you can read. I mean, another fantastic and fun thing Jesus does is he brings up one of his most famous parables. It's called what? The good? Yeah. We all think Jesus is just being sweet and kind. No, he is face slapping all of them with the parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus is like, y'all look too comfortable. Let's do some things. And so Jesus shares the story of a man who's been robbed on a very treacherous region from Jerusalem to Jericho. Well, this man just happens to be going down, and it was known for thieves. Even as late as 1940s, thieves would just hide and ambush people and take all their, take all their uh, possessions. Well, this is a common occurrence, so none of them were surprised. And, and Jesus is like, look, look at that guy. Look, he's on the end. He's, he's dying. I mean, he's left for dead. Everything's taken from him. Well, a rabbi or a priest walks by, 
And he looks and just keeps going. Uh, a Levite who knows the law inside and out. He knows all Moses' customs and the religious wear, and he's dressed to the nines, you can imagine. And he sees, oh my goodness, and he walks on by. Jesus is like, I'm about to mess with y'all. And he says, the good Samaritan. What? What's he even doing in our region? He says, the Samaritan stops and bandages the wounds and Leaves his credit card at the hotel. Says, put it all on my account. And then Jesus, you know, in his casual, comfortable, loving way, says, so which one of those was a real neighbor? And the expert in the law, who he happens to be talking about, says, I want to say some things, but I have to say, the man who had mercy on him, he can't even say He would never let those words come out of his mouth. So he says, hmm, it's not the Levite, it's not the priest. Oh, Rabbi, it's the one who had mercy on him. That is the tension that we arrive with in the Gospels. And and in the Gospel story in John chapter 4, here's Jesus, and and he's probably tempted to go to the right, to go to the left, anywhere but Samaria. And here's what I love. Jesus just, just, just goes, hey, let's just go through. Sychar. Let's just let's just go right up and right on through Samaria. I got to get to Galilee, and y'all don't know, but that's the fastest way. Let's move forward. And so he brings with him his disciples. And Jesus really, I, I've alluded to it, he's breaking all sorts of rules, of rabbinical rules, especially. He's he's speaking to a Samaritan first off. He's speaking with a woman, second off. Which, that in ancient Near East culture, y'all don't even need me to say this, but that's a no-go. It is a no bueno. And he is there talking with her at noontime. No doubt, obviously we could see he's aware of her past. He's aware of the journey that she's on. Jesus is just having casual, you know, casual conversation like we all have here's how to have eternal life you know here's here's you know here's the real drink to drink from you don't need that you need this you know just stuff that's pretty normal (laughs) and he is showing line upon line not only in his words but in his actions the heart of our heavenly father towards people as i think of story of James and Candace, and the testimony they so eloquently and um, heartfelt shared can't help but wonder at the unpredictability of God's grace, the nature of the heart of our Heavenly Father, that in all the moments throughout one's history, we could probably look at their lives and say, you know, there may have been better moments, God. Why didn't you do something then? (laughs) Why do you wait till people are imprisoned to bring them out of prison? I don't know all the answers, but one thing I do know, not even prison walls can stop God's love. Not even prison walls can stop God's love. Not even prison walls can stop the mercy 
forgiveness, the beautiful worth of the kingdom of God. We could go even out through recent history from Chuck Colson and others who found Christ behind bars. It just mirrors this picture of Jesus going to Samaria. That if you will, we each of us have our standards. We all have our boundaries. We all bring our social expectations. And so we think, well, God, how about using this box to reach someone? How about, God, why not wait till everything's perfect, till life is uh, just in a sweet spot, and, and then why not show up? I have no rhyme or reason to explain that other than to not point to a formula, but rather point to the heart of your heavenly Father towards every single one of us. Centuries before the story of Samaria, God would teach the prophet Samuel an important lesson. The Jews' greatest king, even to date, if you go over there, their greatest king is still King David. The king before King David was King Saul, who had a tragic fall. Moments after his fall, God sends the prophet Samuel to go to the house of a man named Jesse. And Jesse's excited. Jesse puts on his white t-shirt, his nice blue jacket, and uh, he gets, gets his hair slicked up, he grooms, he's ready. He's got the food laid out, he's got the drink laid out, and he's got his house prepped, and he's got almost all of his sons. He's had them get ready, you know. Dollar Shave Club in it, you know. Him boutique in it, I don't know. But he's getting them all dressed, all ready to the nines. And so he just brings out all these supermodel stud brothers. And Samuel's like, man, this just goes from best to bestest. I mean, every single one, of, you know, Samuel's just like, man, God, this is incredible. Why didn't you send me here the first time? We could have bypassed Saul. These guys are studs. And God's like, mm, nah. And Samuel's like, Mm, yeah, you know, that the debate's going on. And God says to Samuel, very, very, very important lesson. He says, humanity is accustomed to looking at the exterior. I am far more conscious, aware, and focused on the interior. Samuel says, that sounds right. <laughs> That sounds like the true heart of God. And Jesus is embodying that moment. And all of religious tendencies and traditions screamed at him, warned at him, have nothing to do with Samaria, have nothing to do with the poor, have nothing to do with the marginalized, have nothing to do with relinquishing the burden off people's backs and expectations. This is the way of a rabbi. This is the way. We do not have easy yokes. We do not make things lighter. 
we give more tension, we give more laws, we create more customs. And Jesus, he just peels the pin out, tosses it into the middle. <laughs> he would later do this in the middle of the temple courts and lets the bomb go off and show, y'all have missed it. The heart of our Heavenly Father looks at the interior before it gets to anything on the exterior. And so, you can imagine, you know, this sermon had nothing to do with me because I am perfect in every way. <laughs> Appreciate that vote of confidence. Thank you for being so loud. Y'all come back next week. No. But I was just challenged again in my heart um, and reminded, I share this at our membership meal. I don't necessarily share when I get, got saved. That's an important date for me, but far more interested in the journey. And it reminded me of the time God very kindly made me aware of my self-righteousness. Always love when he does that. So great. But I was just reflecting, man, I'm so grateful to have a Savior who goes to Samaria. You know, I, I, I've, I've not studied this, so this could be wrong, and that's fine, but I would, I would almost beg to say that Jesus was perhaps the only rabbi going to Samaria. Part of the reason I believe that is because if you go to the end of this chapter, he has created a gray storm all up in that city. This lady runs to tell her friends, and Jesus has become, in some ways, a, a, a superstar, not, not in, in, in our celebrity culture, but he's become the talk of the town. And he, in fact, he stays with them for about 48 to 72 more hours. And you can imagine all he's doing is revealing and revealing and revealing the heart of the Heavenly Father towards the people. I wrote down a couple thoughts, as I always do. When Jesus goes to Samaria, you better believe somebody's life is going to be restored. As he affirms that woman, yes, the words he had to say were eternal life. But also don't miss the very fact that he is speaking to her. He is affirming affirming her humanity. You know, one of our starting blocks here as a church, and we're not perfect, by the way, but one of our starting blocks, what I like to tell our team is, everyone is created in the image of God. Every single person is created in the image of God. Before anybody becomes an enemy, they were created. They were thought of and thought out by an awesome and incredible Heavenly Father. So how we treat people is important. And I think about how Jesus is, is talking with her and all he's doing is just not necessarily, don't misread this, not affirming her lifestyle. Nah. But he's affirming her humanity. He's not so put off by the fact she's a woman, by the fact he's in, he, she's in Samaria, that he cannot share the words of eternal life. 
You know, I think James, James and I have talked and I've known some of the people in ministries that were a blessing to him during his time in prison. But aren't you grateful for men and women who aren't so inconvenienced or put off from going behind bars and showing the love of God? I mean, what, it's incredible. It's incredible when you think about You think about that. And I'm just so grateful, not, not grateful in the casual sense, grateful to have this image of Jesus. And, 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 and he goes and he restores. And one of the things you need to know about this woman's life is in Samaria and in the whole region, and very much so the ancient Near East, the men held the papers in marriage. Um, he, he, any man could just walk up any moment with little evidence or really nothing to go by and say, guess what, we're done. He could have found somebody else, somebody prettier, somebody younger, somebody more affluent, whatever it is, he could bring papers, and it was that quick. In Jesus' day, it had become that simple that covenant could be broken that quick, that harsh, that rapidly. And so this woman, she's not promiscuous, I don't believe. I just believe she's been the victim of, at that point, up to five different men who said, guess what, we're done. Guess what? We're done. Guess what? We're done. How many of you know that can bear a weight on your soul? And here's Jesus saying, I have the way to eternal life. I am the Messiah. Let me tell you some things. Let me share with you some things. But again, it's not even the words. It's, it's by the very movement that he one, is even in the region, and two, that he's even talking with her. And one of the challenges and encouragements to us is when Jesus goes to Samaria, he takes his disciples with him. And I would love to have had a microphone and a video recorder to catch some of their faces when he informed them, look, we're just going to Sychar. I imagine Peter was like, oh, dear God. What are we doing? <laughs> I can imagine Matthew the tax collector is like, mm, no, look, I'll do a lot of things, but I won't do Samaria. Mm -mm. <laughs> Matthew's probably like, man, let's call Uber. We just beep. We'll just weep. We'll, get, we'll get on that raft. We'll just go around. But I don't know. Let me just use my imagination here, can I? I bet Mary, I bet Mary, who Jesus freed from over seven demons, I bet she was like, you know, Let's go. I bet she was like, you know, I've tasted of the depth of God's love. Let, let's go. Maybe, who knows, guys, maybe there's someone there who needs Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Either way, kicking or screaming, I have no idea, but the disciples were there. <clears throat> Billy was saying earlier how God's humorous. I also think the Bible, some of the scriptures are very humorous. Did it not catch you? or be of interest that um, the disciples saw the scene and tucked out and made a run for some food. They wanted nothing to do with this moment. They just like, you know, Jesus, you just rest. You just take it easy. We'll be right back. And so they just go into the city to buy food. Like, come on. Do you know the guy? He can pull food out of thin air and feed a 5,000. I mean, what are you doing? They, they, they're like, we read this moment and we're out. And they come back, and they're, I mean, we're not going to read it all, but you can read some of the verses. They're kind of like, wait, what do you mean you're not hungry? In 
and Jesus was doing this. I am the bread of life, you know, sort of teaching. And it's, it's just astounding. And Jesus brings his disciples with them. And you can guarantee when he's up there, uh, you know, ascending into the heavens, you know, as he says, hey, go and preach the good news, teaching them everything I've taught you and influenced you to obey. You know, Samaria is on the cards, that you got to go. We got to get the good news out. And so he takes his disciples, and, and here we are, 2,000 years plus. For many of us, many of us, we would say, guess what? I'm a disciple of Jesus. We would say, guess what? I'm following him. Not perfect, but I'm following him. Well, let, let me tell you what, what he would say to you. Go to Samaria. Go to Samaria. Go to Samaria. Don't be put off. Don't be put off. Don't be put off by economic class, those above us, those beneath us. Don't be put off by skin color. Don't be put off by relational issues and circumstances. Just go to Samaria. Let them know God loves them. You know, so often, in my self-righteous ways, I'm like giving people good advice far before I'm giving them the good news. And Jesus is like, share the good news. Yes, got it, okay. A couple weeks ago, you know we've been in 21 days of prayer. A couple weeks ago, I uh, had us, <laughs> for those of you who participated, I had us praying through the prayer of St. Francis. Um, and on day two of that week, <clears throat> I shared a story of St. Francis of Assisi. And so I'm just going to read that. St. Francis of Assisi was committed to love. In 1219, St. Francis met with the Sultan of Egypt, Muhammad al-Kamil, during the height of the Crusades between Christians and Muslims. He wanted to broker a peace treaty. Jerusalem had been ruled by the Muslims for five centuries by this point. The Crusades had left countless dead by the ongoing discord and warfare. His seed of love would make a lasting difference and begin the end of the Crusades. Reports indicate that the Pope remained focused and unmoved by St. Francis' peace treaty, a.k.a. bad idea, St. Francis. That's ridiculous. We're throwing it out. The Crusaders continued their march against the Muslims. It didn't go well. In fact, at breaking point, the Crusaders were left starving on the edge of the Nile. Muhammad al-Kamil Advisors were advising him to send the order to make the killings. Easy targets. But guess what? He didn't send the orders to kill. What did he do? He sent food and water to the crusaders, choosing love instead of hate, and it began the end of the centuries-long crusades. It's a picture of what can happen when we sow love. You think of St. Francis of Assisi, <laughs> who much of church history says uh, uh, he is the one who most mirrors the image and the life of Jesus. Beautiful picture of St. Francis is that he shows the heart of God. 
when everybody, including the Pope and all of his advisors, are ruthless in their condemnation of Muslim sisters and brothers. They have ringed, if you will, signet ringed, put their thumbs up for the Crusades. Probably the darkest patch of Christian history is the Crusades, killing in the name of Christ. And here, St. Francis of Assisi travels with them, all from the region, I've been there, all from the region of Assisi in Italy, all the way down through the Middle East and getting right there to Egypt. I didn't make that journey, I stayed in Italy, but St. Francis did. He walked with all the horses, all the chariots, all of these men in the midst of the crusaders. And he goes, he walked right out. The, the picture claims he walks right out into the middle. The two battle lines are drawn. And you know, here's St. Francis. Just walking, walking all the way in. As you can imagine, a Muslim and a horse race out. One of Muhammad's key, key generals <laughs> grabs a seat and thinks, this guy's nuts though, what's going on? Pulls him back and they meet in the tent. They met there. There's some, I, I believe it was four nights, four days and four nights. St. Francis, just you can imagine sharing the hope of Jesus, sharing the love of Jesus. St. Francis was a faithful disciple, not put off by the exterior. That, truth be told, his sworn enemies, all of his upbringing, all of his culture, had even rubber-stamped Christianity on top of it, were saying, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go. And I can imagine St. Francis saying, you don't know the heart of our Heavenly Father. The heart of our Heavenly Father. Looking across the battle lines, seeing young men, saying they were created in God's image. Reminds me of the modern day story. We could bring up her picture of Ruth Fowl. Y'all know about Ruth Fowl? Well, you're about to know. Dr. Ruth Fowl, born on September 9th, 1929, in Leipzig, Germany, to Lutheran Christian parents. Four sisters and one brother. Her home was destroyed by bombing during World War II. Following the post-war Soviet occupation of East Germany, she moved to West Germany along with her family and chose medicine as her future career. During the 1950s, she studied medicine at the University of Mainz. During the period, Fowl frequently met a Dutch Christian woman who was a concentration camp survivor and was dedicating her life to preaching love and forgiveness. After her life-changing experience, Fowl left a romantic association, aka boyfriend, with a fellow student and became involved in discussions with philosophy and classical literature. In 1957, Fowle traveled to Paris, joined the Daughters of the Heart of Mary, a Catholic order. She said, when you receive such a calling, you cannot turn it down. For it is not you who has made the choice. God has chosen you for himself. 
The order later sent her to southern India. However, in 1960, a visa issue meant she had to stay in Karachi. She traveled to various parts of Pakistan and across the border to Afghanistan to rescue patients who were abandoned by their families or locked in small rooms for a lifetime. She would spend the decades all the way through to the early 2000 teens sharing and serving with the poor, with the marginalized, but not only that, she would set up, by all accounts, over 50 leper colonies, caring for what you and I would say, the Samaritans. God had so given her his love to be on display that in the darkest regions, and in some ways still some of the toughest, we know the news, some of the most embattled and war-torn regions, the hope of Christ would enter through somebody who had visa issues. It's incredible. After her death, President, say this ten times fast, Mamnoon Hussein <laughs> issued the statement, Dr. Fowle's services to end leprosy in Pakistan cannot be forgotten. She left her homeland and made Pakistan her home to serve humanity. The Pakistani nation salutes Dr. Fowle and her great tradition to serve humanity will be continued. I don't know about you, do you read a lot of news of, of Pakistan celebrating Christian men and women? Hmm, it's interesting. Prime Minister Shahid Kagan Abbasi said, Dr. Ruth Fowl may have been born in Germany. Her heart was always in Pakistan. He further added that she came here at the dawn of a young nation looking to make lives better for those afflicted by disease and in doing so found herself a home. We will remember her for her courage her loyalty, her service to the eradication of leprosy, and most of all, her patriotism. He also announced that a state funeral would be held for her. Reportedly, she was the first Christian and first non-Muslim to have a state funeral in Pakistan. And incredible. When Jesus goes to Samaria, he's revealing the heart of God towards you and towards me. For many of us, it's a challenge, an encouragement, an inspirational time to keep our eyes wide open, to keep our ears cleared from the, 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 the clogging of cultural wars and the clogging of of. of history that would try to sow discord and divide us and maybe open our perspective to see once again everybody's been created in the image of God. No mistakes, no accidents. But there may be some here or some watching that you need to know. You may be the Samaritan. And no one's told you yet, but God loves you. And he's not put off about the baggage. 
about the sin cycles, about the addiction, about the hypocrisy, about your ethnicity, your history. Many people have preconceived walls built up as high as skyscrapers. <laughs> but I know a Savior who loves to tear every one of them down. As one of my favorite songs says, there's no wall he won't kick down, no lie he won't tear down. It's the reckless, over-generous, we can't fathom it, love of God. So let it be heard loud and clear. God loves you. Salvation is through Jesus, that on the cross, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection and ascension, he's established forever the kingdom of heaven that is so close if we but call upon his name. I'm not going to bring them up, but I guarantee you, if you talk to James and Candace, you spend a, a, a long time with them, they would reassure you they didn't have everything together. They, they, they would reassure you they may not have felt it in every moment, but there was a moment that they turned the page and they said, you know what? The love of God is real and I'm choosing to believe and my life will follow accordingly. We'll pray and end together. God, we're so grateful to know you, know your word, know your ways. Lord, we know that the way to know you was revealed through Jesus. And God, we understand that living water requires we surrender the old water we've been living with, the old way, the old habits of thinking, and it requires that we trust you with everything. And Jesus, receive the hope that you give. And I pray, God, that we would be persons and a people committed to the Savior who showed us that we're to go to Samaria. And Father, just even for my times where self-righteousness have gotten in the way, we thank you that your mercy and your forgiveness <laughs> is even there for self-righteous people like me. And we thank you, God, that your heart was not only displayed for the Samaritans, Lord, your heart was displayed for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Lord, we're just so grateful to know your love, to know your mercy. Give us fresh eyes. Give us fresh ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In this season, of life, God, in this community, that we would be a people who serve, people who love, and a people who preach and declare that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth. For those here who feel God knocking, there's no other way for me to say it, God knocking on your heart's door. Here's what he's asking. He's saying, come follow me. He's saying, come follow me. Give your life. To me, I want to invite you to say a prayer. Everything doesn't have to be perfect. All the ducks don't have to be lined up. Every T does not have to be crossed. Every I does not have to be dotted. 
trust Jesus with your life. Trust Jesus with your future. I believe in that moment, heaven invades earth. That hell and separation from God is not our portion, but Jesus has invited us to live in union with God. I want to encourage you, say this with me. If you know that God's knocking on your heart, say this with me. God, I'm here, and I'm ready to surrender it all. I give you my life. I give you my past, my present, and my future. God, you know that I am a sinner in need of your mercy. Jesus, I call you Savior and Lord. Thank you for rescuing me from sin and darkness. Thank you that through your blood that was shed, all my sins have been forgiven, and I've been made new. I am a new creation. I receive you now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.